people not so that God will be happy with us because we're loving people. We love because we have received the most extravagant love that came to us through Jesus. It comes no other way. The access to that love comes through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And everybody we see, we see Jesus, the image of God on them. Just the way Jesus came to come and get us, he asked us to go and get people in his name. It's our nature to build up walls of security around us in whatever way is specific to our individual comforts. But at some point in every life, those walls come crumbling down. Exposed, defenseless, vulnerable, we frantically try to build again. But today we'll find an alternative, how in Jesus we can accept the rubble as he rebuilds us anew. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1, with part 1 of his message entitled, A Housing Crisis. It's amazing to really consider the incarnation. I mean, the incarnation, that's a big word. That's a, a church word. And sometimes when you hear it, it makes you think of a formerly famous instant breakfast that was carnation. <laughs> you never realize I can get a food reference in in about 25 seconds into a message. But for a lot of people, you hear the word incarnation, and if you, you didn't grow up in the church, you didn't spend time reading the, the Bible or, or talking to people who, who have heard about Jesus, you don't actually, it's like, what's an incarnation? What does that mean? And it literally means the enfleshment. It's important that no matter how long we've walked with God, how long we've followed Jesus, that we don't lose how amazing it is that Jesus is God with a human face. It's not like a small thing that God would enter the creation that he sustains I mean, if you really allow yourself to, to soak in that reality, that God would come and enter creation, and not just enter creation, but enter creation as a baby. It's almost incomprehensible. It's impossible, except we trust the God of the possible. But as we reflect on the, the coming son, the birth of the king, we've noticed each passing week how when God chose to do this, there was no way for this to happen other than for it to be messy on multiple levels. It wasn't simple. You would think that the God of all power, the God of the heavens and the earth, when he was going to come, it was going to be all dialed in. Neat and tidy. We looked at Joseph, who was asked to raise Jesus as his own child. We looked at Mary, and we found this, by all intensive purposes on, on ours, and a virgin who's a teenager who's not 
who's legally married but shouldn't be with child. And there was all these parameters. And we saw Mary's simple obedience. And you think, man, this is not good. This is a crisis pregnancy. But then when you realize that not only, not only was this a crisis pregnancy and not only was Joseph asked to raise Jesus as a foster child, so to speak, when it was time for Jesus to be born, God forgot to make a reservation and there was no room for him at the inn. Think about that. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 this morning. So I want you to open up your Bibles there. We're going to look at that classic that classic passage about the birth of Jesus from Luke's gospel. So if you're new to the Bible, Luke's gospel is the third gospel. You open up, you find the New Testament, which is about the last third of your Bible. Then you have Matthew, Mark, and then the book of Luke, chapter 2. And we're going to focus today on the housing crisis that took place for Mary and Joseph that led to Jesus being born and laid in a manger, a feeding trough. And we're going to look at this in regards to a global housing crisis as well. Because oftentimes when you think about people who do not have access to housing, it's very easy in our culture to just kind of dismiss it. That, yeah, well, yeah, no, there's people who are homeless. And, and we're going to find that for Mary and Joseph, the housing crisis happened for a reason. And we're going to find, in a lot of ways, that for a lot of people, their housing crisis have reasons that are actually beyond their control. And one of the keys for us is that I believe God, I believe God wants his people to have an heart, open heart of compassion. It's very easy to get callous to crisis. We live in a crisis-saturated world. But God wants his people, the hands and feet of Jesus, to always have open hearts, to be able to identify with people in their areas of brokenness. Why? Because every time you see a person who is lacking adequate housing, we should think about Jesus being born because there was no room for them at the inn. Every time we see a teenage mother in crisis, we should think about Jesus' birth. When we look at a father struggling with his calling, we should think about Joseph. That's why Jesus says something as crazy. If you clothe the naked in my name, you do it as unto me. If you bring a cup of cold water to someone in my name, you do it unto me. Because in the face of every human soul, we serve them as we serve Jesus himself. And that changes the way we approach people, doesn't it? It changes the way we feel about a broken humanity. It's really easy when you see things you don't like to just push it away. But then you realize that Jesus didn't push a broken humanity away. He entered it and bought it back from within. And as his hands and feet God asks us the same thing. And we don't do it to try and be do-gooders. We don't do it so that God will be happy with us because I'm here to tell you that God's already happy with us. Because God's pain at the brokenness of humanity, he gave to Jesus. That's the gospel, isn't it? We don't serve to get saved. 
We serve as an overflow, as a response to God's amazing salvation. We love people not so that God will be happy with us because we're loving people. We love because we have received the most extravagant love that came to us through Jesus. It comes no other way. The access to that love comes through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And everybody we see, we see Jesus, the image of God on them. Just the way Jesus came to come and get us, he asked us to go and get people in his name. So I'm going to read these seven verses here in Luke chapter 2 in classic little three-point sermon for those of you who like that. Little three, three little points. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, I realize this is a very common biblical reading. And my hope today is even though for many of us, we've heard this passage every Christmas time, we know it real well, that we'll allow the Spirit of God to say, Lord, let me hear fresh things in your word. Lord, let it impact my heart uniquely today. But I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to tell you anything new or, or strange or some weird interpretation. I'm just going to kind of give it to you straight down the line. But I believe that God wants to minister to us from his word every time we open it in very personal and unique ways in that moment. So I want you to notice first that there were unique circumstances. There were unique circumstances. And when you think of a housing crisis... They almost always begin with a unique set of circumstances. When we were watching the intro video with uh, Scott and Brenda on it, they were saying that a lot of the people there are, from, are f- from foreign countries. And so talk about a unique circumstance when you move to a, another country. Maybe you don't know anybody, and it's very easy in the uniqueness of those circumstances to end up with a housing crisis. Just because you move to a place, you have no support network. You don't speak the language. Maybe you're having a hard time finding work. Or the situation you thought you were stepping into was not there. And that creates uh, an environment for a housing crisis to begin. And it's the same thing with Joseph and Mary. Look at what goes on. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone in his own city. So all this began with a decree by Caesar Augustus. So the Roman ruler 
who we know in the Bible as Caesar Augustus. He was formerly known as Octavian. Now, to give you a little bit of a background, and, and I don't know how much you guys paid attention in world history. I didn't pay a whole lot of attention. But it ends up coming into play a lot later. Those of you in high school and college, man, this stuff is deep because it all relates back to what's in your Bible. So Julius Caesar, one of the most famous of Roman rulers, after he took a liking to his nephew, Octavian, and he declared that he was going to be his successor, only that Julius Caesar got murdered a year later and Octavian was very young. So three different people held claim to his Roman throne. Mark Antony and Lepidus, and then, of course, this young man, Octavian. And it began in the Roman Empire about 12 years of, of wars, wars for power. And finally, ultimately, this man named Octavian defeated Mark Antony with the help of Cleopatra. Mark Antony and Cleopatra got together, and Octavian won the battle and ascended the throne. And Octavian became the, the ruler of the Roman Empire. It was later that they changed his name to Gaius Julius Caesar. And then they started calling him Augustus, because you know what Augustus means? In Latin, it means majestic, sublime, and highly revered. So when they call him Augustus Caesar, he is the sublime, majestic ruler. And he was the ruling power in the Roman Empire. And this man, when he says, everybody's going to eat chicken parmesan, everybody ate chicken parmesan. He was the de facto ruler, a complete and total tyrant. He had, com there was no checks and balances, even though there was different things. What he said went. And he declared a decree that there was going to be a census. Everyone needed to be registered. And when Caesar said it, so it was. And no matter where somebody was in the world, they needed to go back to the place of their heritage to be properly numbered. Talk about unique circumstances. So no matter where you were. Now, was anybody's family, family all the way back from America? Aha. Okay. So my whole family, mostly from Sicily, and when this would have happened, I would have had to go back to Italy. Imagine everybody in the whole Roman Empire having to go back to where they were born. It's unique circumstances. We also find out that this happens while Quirinius was governing Syria. So you, it's interesting. People always say, oh, you can't believe the Bible. But when you, the Bible has a time stamp on it, when Caesar Augustus is the ruler, when Quirinius is governing Syria, that's a pretty significant fact. Because what you end up finding is, is that with Caesar Augustus ruling and Quirinius governing Syria, there was a very, very specific time frame when both of that was going on. Somewhere, depending on who you ask, between BC 12 and AD 16. They co-reigned in their different provinces in that place. So there's a about a 28-year span that this was going on. So somewhere within there is when this happened. And that's not insignificant. And, and it's not to be dismissed either. That there would be a timestamp placed on the birth of Jesus. When both Caesar Augustus has his decree, when Quirinius is governing Syria. But these circumstances causes everybody 
to go to their own city. Everyone has to go to their own city. So there's unique circumstances. And I'm here to tell you, even if a housing crisis is not what you're going through, I believe that all of us experience unique circumstances in our lives. And the key for those of you who are following Jesus is to be able to embrace those circumstances and say, God, I don't understand it, but I want you to bear the fruit that you want to bear in my life through it. It makes me think absolutely of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, which is, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. Do you notice it says, and we know? It doesn't say we hope. It doesn't say, man, if we get lucky, all things work together for good. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and for those who are the called according to his purpose. And so much of how we grow and move through this world boils down to that reality. Can you embrace the unique circumstances that you find yourself in, whatever they may be? Can you embrace them and say, God, I know that all these things are going to work together for good in my life. Now, notice it doesn't say, for we know that everything is going to work out exactly the way you planned it. And it's an important distinction because rarely does everything work out exactly the way we plan it. But what it says is that all these things are going to work together for good. And if you read the rest of Romans chapter 3, what you find is that it all working together for good is that every circumstance of your life, if you embrace them and grow through them rather than reject them and become embittered by your circumstances, they work together for good because they make us and conform us to be like Jesus, which is what we really, really want. We may not realize it, but deep down in the core of who we are, a lot of our struggles come from the fact that we're not like Jesus. We don't implicitly trust God. We don't give love self-sacrificially. We don't look out for God's glory and the interests of others before ourselves. But that's what God wants to do in our lives. And that's when things are working together for our good. When we're saying, God, I don't get this. I don't even like this. Lord, I hope you take it. But while it's here, bear fruit in my life. Because we know that all things, every unique circumstance works together for good. And notice there's two characteristics for those who love God and those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, when I first read that verse, it made me very nervous. Because what if I don't love God? And if you're like me, you find yourself, some days your love for God is white hot, and other days your love for God is as chilly as a freezer. Because our hearts are fickle. Some days we're really inclined to say, oh, God, I love you. And other days you're like, you know what, Lord, I'm not sure that I like you right now. And that's part of the condition of the human heart, isn't it? We're all over the place a little bit. We're not quite sure that we can sustain God's, our love for God. But you notice the second qualification or characteristic for those who love God and for those who are the what? The called according to God's purpose. And brothers and sisters, that's exciting because the gifts and calling of God are what? Irrevocable. Or for those of you with the King James, are without repentance. Which means even though our love for God may be fickle, 
God's calling is not. That's strong. God's calling keeps us. So your unique circumstances and my unique circumstances, just like Mary and Joseph's unique circumstances, they will work together for good. And we know that it's the case because God loves us enough to accept us as we are, but not to keep us that way. I know there's a lot of us, you have circumstances, you're like, I just don't get what's going on. It makes no sense. This was not the plan. I did not expect this. I'm not saying that's wrong, but we need to sometimes get out of our circumstances and look at it from another angle. Take off our own, this is what I was hoping for, and say, Lord, I want to put on the goggles of the Holy Spirit and see what this looks like. And then you realize, God, I don't like this, and I want you to take this away, but while it's here, make me like Jesus. Make these ill circumstances fruitful. And the reason we can do it is we know that all things work together for good. And for us, we need to put legs on that, don't we? Activate our faith to say, God, all things are working together for us. So it begins with there were unique circumstances. And there is for you, there was for Mary and Joseph. Now look at what happens in verses 4 and 5. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, in verse 4, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, not only were there unexpected circumstances, but now there was an at-risk family. Mary and Joseph is an at-risk family. Notice this. When this decree happens, Joseph is going. He's leaving Galilee and the city of Nazareth. Remember, Galilee's the region, and Nazareth is the city. And then he's going to Judea, which was the region in the south, to a specific city, the city of Bethlehem. But notice what it says. He had to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. Now, this is before subways, airplanes, mopeds, cars. It's the 80-mile drive as the crow flies. Mary's pregnant, and she has to be registered by decree of Caesar Augustus. Now, how many of you ladies in here have had kids? Yeah. How many of you would have liked to take an 80-mile ride on the back of a donkey at the end of your pregnancy? Sound good? Who wants to sign up? Anybody? Sounds fun? No, right? I mean, let's be honest. When it's time for the baby to come, you don't even want to be in a car. I remember when Lynn was going to have our second child, Maranatha. She was in labor. Now, I love my wife. She's a sweetheart, but she's, she's a strong German girl. And so she wouldn't let me bring her to the hospital. When we got there, she was nine centimeters. We got there. God bless her. But I remember, you know, I'm, a, I'm the pastor, you know, and so we're sitting at a, a stoplight sitting there and finally she looks at me she's like go through it Jesus is real I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus is real radio it's exciting to me that you would take the time to listen to this it is my distinct hope that each one of us would simply respond to Jesus. That's a big idea for me, for Crossroads Community Church, and for Jesus' Real Radio. 
that each one of us would meet with Jesus, what I like to say, at street level. Because Jesus is right where you are. He is right there in the middle of your situation and in the middle of your circumstances. Jesus is right there. And Jesus wants each one of us to learn how to simply respond to him. What that means is that at every moment, Jesus prompts us and we take that step. And it's my hope for you as you're listening to this program that you would find yourself each day simply responding to Jesus more and more. You'll become more loving, more kind, more gracious, more generous, not just financially, but in every single area of your life. You'd find yourself desiring to serve others and not just hoping that everyone is there to serve you. When we simply respond to Jesus, we become closer and closer and closer to who God created us to be. And so we say that Jesus is real and he is and he exists right where you are and he is inviting you to partner with him in recreating the world. So Jesus wants to change the world and he is looking for available people, people like you and like me. So please, as you listen, simply respond to Jesus and engage yourself in the work of God's kingdom in your community and in your world. God bless you so much.